Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Crossroad Theology, the podcast where we ask questions, examine truths, and question assumptions. So welcome back, as I said, to Crossroad Theology. This is our first actual episode, and we are more than excited to get this podcast going off the ground. Indeed, very much so. Yeah, and today we, I think we're going to be talking about something that's very applicable to everybody, and that is how Christians should or do engage culture. So kind of talking about culture, I figured a good place to start was to talk about the culture that surrounded Jesus and his time and in his ministry and kind of bring light to that based off of the history that surrounded that and the history a little bit before that so that we can kind of understand what's happening in Jesus' time a little bit more and how he impacted their culture. And once we understand that, then I think we'll be able to better understand how we as modern-day Christians can influence our culture. Well, I would totally agree with that, Tyler. So anyways, the first part of this history that we wanted to go over was the Maccabean Revolt. Now, the Maccabean Revolt was just a revolt where uh, Israel got their land back. And I think that's where the Hanukkah tradition comes from, isn't it? Yeah, it is, actually. Uh, Hanukkah is a Jewish holiday where they celebrate uh, them, basically them getting their land back from Rome. And uh, one of the reasons why they celebrate it is because after eight days of fighting, uh, the lamps in the temple were still lit, which is a crazy miracle if you think about it, because all of the lamp oil would have been pretty much burned by then. So the lamps were still going at the time of, uh, at the time of their independence. It's a Jewish miracle. <laughs> that it is. So Israel learned their lesson about kings and about corruption in that sense. And so they decided to look back to Torah, the first five books of the Bible, to find out who their leaders should be. And in digging through that, they decided to make the priests, uh, the descendants of Levi, and in that uh, lineage, the descendants of Zadok, their leaders. Uh, in Torah, if you are a Levite, you are considered to be a priest. You must be a priest. Uh, it's what Torah commands and it's what uh, the Jews say that God commands of them. However, within a very short period of time, I believe it was only about 30 years, uh, they had succumbed to another uh, popular belief of the time, which was Hellenism. And that was kind of the culture that surrounded kind of the outside of Judaism at the time. But a lot of the priests really enjoyed Hellenism and the pleasures and the other stuff that it brought. And so a lot of the priesthood decided to adopt Hellenism as their own sort of belief set. And so they kind of succumbed to that. Uh, and what Hellenism is, is in short, basically Hellenism takes God out of the center and puts man in the center. So instead of basically, instead of saying like, I serve God, it's more like everything serves me. That's a very oversimplified version of it, but that's sort of the idea behind it. So amongst this culture and the mixing of the cultures of Judaism and Hellenism, we see five groups that appear in Judaism at the time. The first is the Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees were the appointed priests of the time. And unfortunately, because of Hellenism and the surrounding adoption of Hellenism, they were very corrupted. However, something good that the Sadducees did offer and as much as, as as little as they do offer, they still were ordained by God to be in their position. And so the one really good thing that they did have was that they were appointed by God to be in the position to do some great good. Unfortunately, they just took it and did some great evil with it. Now, 
if you agreed with everything that the Sadducees were doing, but if you weren't a Levite, you were a Herodian, named after Herod the Great or Herod the Wicked, if you will. Now, Herodians were those who kind of compromised with Hellenism quite a bit and allowed a lot of like Hellenistic ideas into their own life and into their own Judaism. Um, a lot of Herodians would have really liked the healthcare system that Rome offered, and so they would go to this hospital in Asclepius and go and worship this god Asclepian before using the Asclepius. Now, that was Rome's decree. In order to use that healthcare system, you had to worship this god in order to do that. And so they'd kind of logically make a make a jump saying like, oh, you know, I'm not really praying to this God. I'm just, you know, saying some words, but God really knows my heart. So kind of on the opposite end of this, uh, Pharisees and Zealots were part of one group called the Hasidim, but Pharisees were very committed to the text. They, you would not see them in the Asclepius or any sort of like Roman offering or temple area where you could get like healthcare or food or anything like that. They were very much committed to the text. However, when they saw Herodian, they had no compassion. When they saw Sadducee, they had no compassion. And when they saw Roman, they had absolutely no compassion. Uh, they did not like anybody outside of their sort of sect of Hasidim uh, or anybody else who really wasn't as committed to the text as them. Now, the Zealots, that second part of the Hasidim, were very zealous. They, were, they had quite a bit of passion for the Lord and for what they thought his will was. Unfortunately, they took to the sword to fulfill what will they thought the Lord had. And so they committed some acts that, to be honest, a lot of us would have considered terrorism. Even back in the day, like even back in their day, uh, and back in, in today's days, if we were thinking about terrorist acts, a lot of the assassinations and a lot of the uh, things that they would have done would have been considered or and are considered by our day and age terrorism. Now, the Essenes were the last of these groups, and they were the most committed to the text. They would write it out, they would speak it, they would do everything in their day by the text. However, they fled to the Judah mountains. They were basically isolating themselves from society and secluding themselves from anybody else. And so, while they were very committed to the text and very committed to presenting, you know, what they thought would be the best life possible, and that was completely committed to the text, they were so secluded that nobody around them, or nobody was around them, nobody could even see them. All right, Chris, well, thank you for doing that, uh, and thank you guys for hanging in there. I know the history sometimes can be a little tough to follow, but I promise you that it's going to pay off. So before we move on to how we apply all of this and look at how we engage the modern culture as Americans and westernized uh, people. I'm going to have Chris just run through a very simplified list of all of those five different Jewish populations. And there's kind of a good, like what they got right category, and then there's a kind of what they got wrong category. And that's going to help us kind of figure out, you know, if you go back and look at it, you can figure out what kind of camp you would have landed in. And maybe that helps you figure out how to, or how to uh, identify with the world and engage it, you know. So, yeah, definitely. So the first group that we saw were the Sadducees, who were ordained by God to do what they were doing. However, they were doing it in such a corrupted fashion that uh, they were just corrupted people. Uh, then there were the Herodians, 
who were in the midst of the mission of God and could have an incredible influence on people, however, compromised so much with their beliefs and with their ethics that they didn't look any different than anybody else. Then there were the two sects of the Hasidim, the first being the Pharisees, who were very committed to the text but had no compassion on anybody who wasn't following it directly or in the way that they thought that they should be following it. There were the zealots who had incredible zeal, but used that zeal with the sword and hurt a lot of people in doing that. And then there was the last group, which was the Essenes, who were very committed to the text, but were so secluded that nobody saw their different way of life. So I don't know about you, Chris, but I definitely am a Herodian. I love my stuff, my little knickknacks, my stupid little things that I can't take with me when I die. Absolutely love my stuff, my TVs, my technology. What do you? What about you? Uh, I'm definitely an Essene. I like to just sit in a basement and read the Bible instead of actually doing something with it. I just kind of have this tendency of getting secluded and not doing anything with my faith. I just kind of just sit and sit in my you know comfortable room and just go ah now I have the text and it's just me and God and I don't have to do anything else about that. So what's important about this too is it kind of being able to identify that and I I understand being a Herodian that I'm I'm making compromises potentially in my faith sometime and so I can find a way to kind of change that and help help be more constructive in in my faith and you know Chris is focused on the text but his seclusion kind of uh, makes it hard for him to engage the culture so he you know he can surround himself by people who help him to take his passion for that and you know move it out into the real the world And I think that, like, not every single person is going to fall into a single category either. Like, for me, I have, like, mostly Essene tendencies, but sometimes I can act like a Pharisee and just be a total jerk to somebody. And I can see myself being a zealot as well. Like, I get very passionate about certain things. So now we're going to zoom ahead about 2,000 years to 2016. (laughs) And just, like, Superman (laughs) flying through time. (laughs) And... You know, I think if you go fast enough, you can go forward in time, but I don't think you can go back in time. Oh. So Superman would have to be an ancient Jew flying. Yeah, I guess that works. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> I guess. I think they did that experiment. Okay, let's just keep moving. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what we're going to do is now we're going to talk about two relatively... I don't know, normal. Ex- yeah, or... relatively extreme ends, but also relatively normal, like things that you see in Christianity today. Normal beliefs, I guess you could say. Yeah. So the first is basically this, you know, kind of like me, this Herodian, this Hellenistic kind of person who I love my stuff. I, you know, I want, I'd love to be wealthy someday. I love my social security. I mean, if you, if you haven't caught on yet, um, Herodianism and Hellenism is kind of the American dream. So we're we're right we're right in the thick of it. Um, nothing much has really changed over over these two thousand years, and yeah. there's there's kind of something there's something interesting about that that gives us the ability to we're kind of like God's spies in society. So so the Jews were called to to follow Torah and all those laws because God wanted them to look different to a world and show the world that that their God is different. And as a Gentile, as a Christian, we don't have to follow those laws. So we kind of get to like go undercover in society and, and, and change it from the inside, which is awesome. But that's the Herodian thing is that we're, we're on a mission. 
but sometimes we make compromises. And so I, we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Yeah, something interesting that I see a lot um, when I'm when I'm kind of interacting in the church is I see kind of this group of people that sometimes they kind of take both a Herodian and a Pharisaic sort of route to their Christianity. And when they're in church, they're sort of Pharisaic in the sense of, oh, you can't do this. Oh, you can't do that. You aren't walking in your Christianity right. You aren't doing this right. You aren't doing that right. But at the same time, they go outside of church and they become very Herodian in the sense of, oh, I have my health care. I have all of this stuff. And is any of that bad? The health care is not bad. It's not a bad thing to have insurance. It's not a bad thing to do things like that. What I'm just saying is, is sometimes... I think we miss the forest for the tree, or we miss, is it the trees for the forest or the forest for the trees? I couldn't tell you. I think it's the trees for the forest. I don't know. I might look like an idiot right now. Anyways, I think we kind of miss the trees for the forest sometimes in the sense that I think there are certain things that we kind of need to compromise on in order to stay, not like relevant to society, but stay at least in a somewhat, like stay in the mission of God. But at the same time, we need to be like, committed enough to not compromise on some things that I think we really shouldn't compromise on. Yeah, and on the other end of the spectrum, we kind of see, well, maybe not the other end of the spectrum, but another major kind of viewpoint, worldview in Christianity that we see is kind of this, um, you could go as far as to call it fundamentalism, but it could be as simple as just trying to protect your children from certain worldly views um examples are like i don't let my kids read harry potter because you know it's got witchcraft in it and you know one thing could lead to another and or i'm not gonna go watch a rated r movie and that kind of thing and or like you know i'm not gonna let my kid go to a public school and learn about or learn about um evolution or something like that or be in their sex sex ed program or something like that. Now, is there a good th- is is it a good thing that we have Christian schools? Yeah, I think there is some very good things that come out of that. I have some friends who graduated from high school with me that have done some great good in the church uh, coming out of private school. Yet at the same time, I do think that we need to be still relevant to society and still be in the places where we can uh, help change society and culture. Uh, in those kinds of areas, you know? Yeah. And I have this book in front of me right now. It's called The Battle for God, A History of Fundamentalism by Karen Armstrong. And I wanted to read a little chunk out of it. And it's got some really big words, so hang in there with me. But I'm going to read through it. Um, It talks about fundamentalism, and it's actually a really good take on it. And we're going to talk about it after I, I read through this. So it's a whole paragraph here, and um, Miss Armstrong starts it off like this. At the outset of their monumental six-volume fundamentalist project, Martin E. Marty and R. Scott Appleby argue that fundamentalisms all follow a certain pattern. They are embattled forms of spirituality, which have emerged as a response to a perceived crisis. They are engaged in a conflict with enemies whose secularist policies and beliefs seem inimical to religion itself. Fundamentalists do not regard this battle as a conventional political struggle, but experience it as a cosmic war between the forces of good and evil 
They fear annihilation and try to fortify their beleaguered identity by means of a selective retrieval of certain doctrines and practices of the past. To avoid contamination, they often withdraw from the mainstream society to create a counterculture. Yet fundamentalists are not impractical dreamers. They have absorbed the pragmatic rationalism of modernity, and under the guidance of their charismatic leaders, they refine these fundamentals so as to create an ideology that provides the faithful with a plan of action. Eventually, they fight back and attempt to resacralize an increasingly skeptical world. So basically, you know, what, the, what that was saying was, um, one of the things I really liked was that there's this cosmic war between the forces of good and evil and that the fundamentalist belief kind of came out of a response to a perceived crisis. Yeah, so in that perceiving of a crisis, they fear an annihilation of some sort of maybe spirituality or belief. And to avoid annihilation, they create their own society and culture in order to do so and eventually kind of lash back out at the general surrounding society that they believe is causing this crisis and causing that sort of annihilation in order to protect themselves from that annihilation. And there is actually something really, I don't know, I find something very wholesome about this approach. It's putting God first in your life. Um, and it, it's, a, it's just totally different than kind of the majority of people do. Uh, at least Christians do in, in yeah. our society. I mean, whether or not they perceive or like read the Bible, quote unquote, correctly, I mean, they do have an interesting way about showing the world, like, this is how committed we are to God. And I mean, like, they do take the Bible quite literally, but in that they are really saying, like, we will take this text literally because that's what we believe God would have us do. And even if they say look ridiculous to so many people, they still do it because it's what they believe, which there's something admirable about that. I think and it all stems kind of from this age old approach that you kind of are a combination of like your six best friends and to engage in the world fully it's like it was talking about the spiritual battle and to keep yourself sharp and following after God the way God wants you to be, like a healthy mind and all that, to constantly be in this world full of these sexual images, the drugs, you know, the abuse, all of that, a Harry Potter, if you want to go, you know, um, just things like that, public school, whatever, evolution, uh, it they they remove themselves because... They're concerned and they're being kind of, I don't know, they're they're trying to make good life choices, you know? It must be sort of like a cornering thing, at least from my perspective, where they feel cornered into, oh, like, this is what society would have us believe and we don't want to believe that. So we feel cornered into, like, a spiritual, like, into a spiritual kind of, like, crisis, if we're going to kind of take that back to a, the quote. yeah. And if you can't tell, uh, neither Chris or myself is is in this boat so we're we're trying to be respectful and give this a a serious look because it is it is an important viewpoint and i think there's a lot to learn from it and in fact if there's anybody listening who considers himself um a christian who kind of follows after these kind of viewpoints would love to have a conversation with you maybe interview you sometime that would be awesome um but yeah, I think maybe we move on to 
I guess it's going to be just our opinions on how the Christian does engage culture while keeping themselves healthy like a the fundamentalist side you know wants to keep their mind and body healthy so how we do that if we're our typical herodian american dream living patriotic american whatever um and so we're going to have a little conversation about that and then how we wrap it up so chris after talking about these two kind of viewpoints uh what you think one of them has it just down pat I mean, do you think the Christian should be, should we be going watching Deadpool, the rated R movies, should we be drinking, smoking pot, should we be watching pornography, like is that how we engage our culture? Probably doing all of those things at the exact same time, that's that's my guess. Actually, don't ever take that advice. Please don't do that. That'd be a very bad, that'd be horrible if you actually started doing that because of this podcast. Anyways. Uh, I think there's a good balance to a lot of the things that we just said. Uh, I think that for me, there's some things that I've been convicted and I believe that scripture talks about uh, that I would say are pretty much crossed off the list, like pornography. I think that, you know, the abuse of another human being, uh, whether that's vocal or mental or sexual in any sort of way, um, or just taking them down to the means of being an animal or just fulfilling some sort of need is wrong but let's let's take alcohol for example because alcohol is a pretty big split issue in the church and so for me I actually quit drinking for about a year six months to a year because I couldn't stop binge drinking uh, and I was in a very unhealthy place with that so for me I decided to quit because again I wasn't in a healthy place and after a while I started to learn how to drink again in social surroundings where I wasn't binge drinking or hurting myself or hurting other people doing that. And so after a while, I actually started, you know, learning how to enjoy my favorite beverages again, partly because I think that it's um, partly I think that all of these things are meant to be taken on a case by case basis for people and no one really big like no no one like big idea is really going to fit every single person and i think we all need to like take a step back with a lot of these issues and go is it making me a better person am i staying the same or am i becoming worse and there there's you know you can do whatever you want with those if it's you know if i'm becoming a better person because of it but i just think i need to give it up for a while cuz i'm tired like didn't do it give it up for a little while um, if you are, you know, staying kind of stagnant with it and want to keep it or let it go, you know, that's good. But if you're becoming a worse person because of it, I I just think you need to let it go. Uh, I know I did for a long time. Again, and that was with drinking. I had to let that go for a long time. But I think I became a better person because of that. And I've learned to become a better person even still while enjoying the occasional beverage. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head, Chris. Uh, these are all... Every one of these issues are kind of a case-by-case basis. If if there's something that you can't reconcile with in your walk with God, then you should probably kind of have a conversation with yourself about, you know, where to go from there. If I go to see a, you know, an R-rated movie, there's probably nudity in there, whatever. If I can honestly say to myself that that is affecting who I am as a person, changing my walk with God, then as much as it pains me that I can't watch Deadpool as many times as I want to, which is probably just the once. I didn't think it was that great of a movie, but 
Um, I think you're going to tick a lot of people off by saying that, by the way. I watched Deadpool. I'm sorry. No, I mean by saying it sucks. It sucked. Wow. Okay, it didn't suck that bad, but <laughs> I don't really need to watch it okay, move that on. many times. We're moving yeah. on. Um, if if you have something that is seriously going to affect you, like, like alcohol, as Chris was talking about, can I walk with God and binge drink, you know, every other night? Probably not. Can I, you know, this is a big one that a lot of us struggle with. Can I watch pornography and consider myself in a healthy place with God and even just like people around me, you know? So it's a case-by-case basis and even based on the viewpoints that you grow up with, you know, we talked about those two different views, a more fundamentalist viewpoint and a more Herodian style kind of um, Hellenistic viewpoint. We're, we're all going to have different viewpoints <clears throat> on what we think other people should believe. <clears throat> and that's great. And uh, it's, it's, this is one of those topics that we are free to talk about and discuss amongst each other in, in a civil way. And I think when we do that, we will grow and become better people. So in wrapping up our show today, one of the things that we want to start doing is at the end of every episode asking, is this topic a matter of salvation? So is the way that we engage culture and interact with culture something that we all have to come to a precise agreement on? Chris, what do you think? Well, I don't particularly think that we all need to come to an exact consensus on any of what we've talked about today in order to make it sort of a salvation issue or anything like that. I think many people can have many different opinions and have many different uh, things that they can do that other people per se can't uh, and still, you know, be saved by God and saved by Christ. However, I do think that there are some boundaries to that where if you're considering yourself a Christian and just going out and partying all the time and hurting other people, hurting yourself, maybe with some sort of drug abuse or alcohol abuse, or just abuse in general, I think that there needs to be a serious reevaluation of your faith and serious reevaluation of uh, how you treat the people around you and how you treat yourself. And, you know, I mean, that's sort of on the Herodian end where it's like, oh, I'm just going to compromise absolutely everywhere. I think if we compromise absolutely everywhere, we miss the mission of God. But also at the same time, if we're very willing to condemn somebody for having one mistake or one misstep, I think, again, we're, lo- or we're looking at... Uh, we're missing the plank in our own eye and we're looking at some sawdust in somebody else's. And so I think that there's, you know, I don't think this is a salvation issue, but I think that there's definitely some incredible room to grow on both ends just from looking at like both sides from the Herodian perspective and from the Pharisee kind of perspective, I guess, because those are the two most common that I see in the church where if we're compromising way too much, I think that we can stop compromising a little and start having a little bit more of a boundary and we can loosen up some of the boundaries kind of in a sense of no no compromise, no compassion for anybody outside and go, you know what, we'll let these people in and we're going to help them learn how to get to a better place. Yeah, and I think I, I would agree with that. I definitely don't think this is a matter of salvation. In fact, if you are surrounded by <clears throat> a group of people who completely agree with you on every single one of these issues maybe it's time to go find you know someone else who might disagree with you because i think 
the minute you stop learning is the minute you find yourself surrounded by a, a group of people who completely agree with you. So, yeah. and the minute you, sorry, like in the minute yeah. you, um, kind of find yourself stuck in a place where like everybody's agreeing with you and you're comfortable. I don't think God yeah. works as well through that than with the uncomfortability. And like, you know, for me, like I've had some friends in my past who have really challenged me out of like, cause I, I was so different than them and they were so different from me. They forced me to see a new perspective and I saw God through their perspective and they've seen God through my perspective. Yeah. So hopefully this conversation leaves you thinking about some of this stuff. This wasn't, you know, it's our first episode, so this isn't a super tough topic today, but I hope you guys got a bit of a taste for what our show is going to be like. It's a little bit rough around the edges because this is our first episode, and I think the more we put out, the more comfortable we will get, the more uh, awesome these are going to be, and I just really hope that you guys hang in there and uh, give us a listen every time we put these podcasts out and uh there's a couple people we have to thank before we end the episode um i want to thank ben wiedebeck for supporting us uh he gave us some money to help us get off off the ground here uh we we can't thank him more uh, more we have uh jessica and clements who created our beautiful logo um again thank you for that i hope you guys like that we'd love to hear what you think about it and uh, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Patreon. We have a Patreon, so if you guys feel like supporting us and helping us yeah. give you some more content, uh, better content, we could we could definitely use an extra microphone. We're, we're recording <laughs> on one mic right now, so uh, it's a little rough every once in a while. Yeah, there's uh, there's the Patreon for that. Um, I don't use Twitter personally and Instagram really that often either. So hopefully we'll we'll be engaging with you guys with those. Um, through Crossroad Theology, but Facebook's going to be pretty uh, active. We, Chris and I put our blogs up on there as well, Yep. and we're just excited to get this first episode out for you guys, and thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks a bunch. Oh, and you know what? We, are, we have a musical track that we're using today. Um, what was the... Uh... Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, so the uh, musical track comes from actually a really cool experience that I experienced uh, that I'll talk about in another episode uh, more in detail. But uh, I went on a homeless ministry sort of uh, adventure kind of thing with uh, Impact Campus Ministries uh, through Eric Wright, uh, a really good guy that I know. And we went to Puyallup to go visit this homeless ministry that's there. And one of the guys that we met actually just started playing piano out of nowhere. He's never had a lesson. He's never had anything like that. And yet he was just writing these amazingly beautiful pieces. And it was really cool to hear that. So I figured I'd record some of it. Uh, his name was Matthew. I don't know his last name, uh, but he's just he was a really cool individual to talk to. Uh, he was also really cool to hear, just hear him play. It was really beautiful. All right, so we hope you guys enjoy that as well. And we will see you next time on Crossroad Theology. Thanks for listening. Thank you.